Welcome to Sunflower Living, a podcast that believes that life is always worth living. I'm Abile. And I'm Linky. Welcome to our working philosophies on life and living with a mental illness. Before we get started, a note. We are not mental health professionals. All opinions expressed in this podcast are our own. Welcome back, everybody. And uh, we have a much anticipated and almost like I'm absolutely delighted that we were able to get her on, on the podcast because I personally really enjoy a lot of her content. I know Linky has, you know, I've seen on her personal statuses that she's reposted some of her stuff. So today, without further ado, I introduce to you Romy. Thank you for being on with us here on Sunflower Living. Um, yeah, no, it's my absolute pleasure. And yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be with you guys. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, just, you know, um, what it is you've studied and kind of what it is that has driven you, I suppose, into the mental health space? Sure. Um, so it's a bit of a, maybe a long response, but I'll try and, um, I'll try to condense it down. Mm. So I am a clinical psychologist. I'm currently within a community service year. So in South Africa, what that means is you fully qualify as a clinical psychologist or as a healthcare practitioner. So as a doctor, um, an occupational therapist, a nurse, um, a pharmacist, um, what happens is once you fully qualify within your field, you've got an, um, a mandatory 12 month placement within a healthcare facility that is usually a public healthcare facility or a government healthcare facility that would usually serve quite a under-resourced community or one that doesn't necessarily have adequate access to, to healthcare services and certainly not mental health care services. Um, mm-hmm. And this year, this 12 months essentially solidifies your um, qualification and you aren't allowed to practice legally within this country without having done your mm-hmm. community service. So yeah, I'm, I'm fully qualified, I've, I've, I've got it, but yeah, mm-hmm. this 12 months is necessary in order to be able to practice legally. Um, the idea behind community service is wonderful in and of itself. It's, it's giving back to the community, it's giving back to the country in ways in which we're still struggling um, to mm-hmm. serve the majority of the nation with adequate health care. So why did I end up here in this space, in this sphere? I think what's quite interesting about mental health care, and maybe it's similar within other healthcare care professions, but I know that it's, it's very um, prominent within mental health care, is that what starts as kind of your like little desire in the beginning does shift and change and morph as you kind of grow within this field. So for me, my studying journey has been 10 years. And, you know, what I initially came in thinking like, this is what I'm wanting to do. This is where my passion comes from. Like I'm wanting to be able to treat this kind of mental illness and I'm wanting to go in this direction. What happens is kind of the more qualified you get and the more you're exposed to, the more your kind of view of the field and your view of the world changes. And so too does your perception of what you feel like you're going to want to do in the field. Um, so, I mean, I'm currently working within um, a criminal psychology or forensic psychology or psycho-legal space. Um, that was something that came up for me, you know, gosh, about seven years ago. I was like, this is the environment that I'm most certainly wanting exposure in. This is a field I'd love to kind of advance my skill set in. But over the, I mean, that's not where I saw myself 10 years ago. Um, even though, I mean, don't we all love the good, like, crime thriller, horror mm-hmm. documentary? serial killer documentary I mean that's been going on my whole life not Linky no no. Linky (laughs) 
<laughs> Linky is, is very is very squeamish. Okay, dear yeah. clear of those. Wonderful. Yes. Do you know that you know that is so refreshing to me. I mean, I also don't want to kind of reduce what I am currently doing. So I mean essentially I'm a clinical psychologist. I work with a variety of mental illness, I work with a variety of patients or clients or whatever kind of wording you're wanting to use. It is used interchangeably. Um, because I work within a clinical setting and most often a hospital setting, we do use the term patient that isn't necessarily to dehumanize people or just categorize them as ill. You know, people are like, oh, I'm a patient. That means I'm ill. It's like, no, this is just like medical model hospital lingo mm -hmm. that just lingers, the lingo that lingers. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I work within a clinical setting and, and therefore um, I deal with a broad range of things. doesn't matter what kind of context I find myself in. Um, and I've worked in a lot of contexts. I've worked in private health. I've worked in public health. I worked in Europe for a little bit. Um, I've worked in correctional centers. I've worked in correctional centers previously, worked in psychiatric units. Um, I was at, at the military the whole of last year at a military hospital. Um, I, yeah, I've worked in a lot of settings. And as I said, like as I, as I progress, so too does my interest. And I think what's so important and this is something I talk about so much and I speak about it within my professional setting but within my personal setting and I speak about it with you know kids that uh, that just don't and, and adults I mean I say kids but you know adults as well that like feel lost feel like they don't know where to go and I was like actually mm -hmm. one of the most important things is finding out what you don't like in life do you know how important that is yeah and you, but I've something and I hate it like oh I'm studying accounting it's the absolute worst I've wasted three years of my life I'm like no you've literally learned for three years that you would rather die than doing this yes. you know so I mean that's for me something that like I've learned over the course of, of of my journey as being like I worked with children for a lot of years and I loved my work with children but over the past three years I've been like oh <gasps> yes <laughs> that this isn't the space for you this isn't absolutely mm -hmm. absolutely and it's it's just not currently where I'm feeling um where I'm wanting to be working and yeah I think know what you don't want to do know it yeah. for certain know it mm -hmm. for certain that is a huge step in the right direction um and I think that is how I've, I've at least found myself here and my kind of mantra kind of moving forward in my life and I like that perspective I really like that perspective of saying that instead of thinking about it as a loss of time it's kind of just an identification of something that you shouldn't be doing and yeah. you know that kind of brings me to the question that I wanted to ask was really about kind of vulnerable communities and those who are under-resourced is how do we find ways in which we can plug resources to them? What have you found, especially around mental health, that the, um, that the challenges are? Is it really that, is the stigma different in those spaces? Um, what, what are the real challenges around um, those spaces? So it's such a good question. And I wish I could give you a simple answer. I wish that there was a simple cause and effect relationship when it comes to kind of, underserviced communities and why there isn't access or adequate access to mental health care. It's, I mean, I can call it a systemic problem. You know, we can talk about stigma and we can talk about um, misperceptions of what mental health 
in and mental health challenges look like in certain communities but we also look at things like funding we look at things like the fact that mental health care workers there are just not enough of us and we mm. look at things like okay well if there's just not enough of us well, why don't we train more and then it's like okay well this thing comes down to a funding problem just do it for free all the time you know happy to put in pro bono hours okay well Governments may be not willing to fund that, or governments are only willing to fund clinical psychologists, but not counseling psychologists and not registered counselors. And it's it's such an intricate problem. Um, so we can kind of look at look at it systemically and look at it from the top down. So we look at, okay, well, what is the funding like? That's always the top, is like, where is the money for mm. the things? You know, and then when we look at it from the bottom up, we look, okay, well, you know, do communities want us there? And I mean, I think that the word kind of community, I'm trying to not, I mean, I think when someone says community or under-resourced community, everyone kind of has a picture in, in their mind of what that looks like. And I think in South Africa specifically, this can go sometimes to a place where it's kind of maybe ill-fitting and people are like, oh, it must be a township or it must be kind of some kind of rural setting. And it's like, no, not, not specifically. And so I think when I speak about under-resourced communities or communities without access to mental health care like I try and take like race out of it I try to take language out of it try and take kind of like location out of it um so that there isn't more stigma put onto it because I it's a complex issue in in our country as well as I'm thinking in many different countries um but yeah I think when you think of communities everyone is completely unique and sometimes mental health care is actually just not wanted um and that's perfectly fine. It doesn't mean that there isn't a need. It just means that maybe that need is being met in some other way. And then we can go into culture and we can go into, okay, well, how does the culture and how does a collective community deal with mental health challenges? Is this positive? Is this negative? You know, psychology is very Eurocentric and practicing psychology within an African space is fascinating, but it's there needs to be a lot more and there is which is wonderful this new kind of wave of the African perspective on mental health and mental illness that is defined here you know that isn't defined by the west it's not defined by the east it's defined here in Africa and what does this look like specifically to us because we can't use this kind of medical model built in countries where maybe it is totally relevant and taking culture completely out of it so yeah but kind of trying to come back to your original question. I wish that there was an easy way to, to say it, but, you know, poverty is something that is a huge, huge factor when it when you look at access to healthcare services within the South African context. And sure, there are government facilities and there's kind of three tiers of government facilities and every community should have a community clinic. And in theory, the gold standard is every community clinic should have a mental health care worker. And it doesn't necessarily mean a psychologist because there won't be one because there are too few people. Um, but there should be a mental health care nurse, there should be a social worker, there should be a registered counsellor. But unfortunately, mental health care, and I can really only talk about the South African context because this is the one in which I work, it is still so underestimated as a necessity. And I can understand why in some ways when we look at a country that is struggling with so much else, but when I come in as a mentor, and I've worked, you know, deep in, in community settings, I've worked in rural settings, I've worked, you know, in community healthcare centers, I've worked for 
non-government organizations. I've, yeah, I've, I've worked in quite a diverse setting. When I come in with my mental health lens, I'm like, okay, but mental health is inextricably linked with these issues that the country faces. Like inextricably mm. linked. If we're looking at generational trauma, if we're looking yes. at kind of the consequences of poverty and someone's ability to allow them to, to, to rise up out of it, yes. you know, how how do we not look at mental health as the most one of the most necessary components here? But unfortunately, everyone comes in and looks at this at the crisis of lack of resources from their own perspective. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you'll find us like mental health care warrior people are all like, just, just let us in, just, just let us and let us like, you know, take a stab at it. Um, but not everyone thinks that that's a priority. And that's, that is sad. Mm-hmm. And we've still got a long way to go. And yes, stigma is a huge part of it. Mental health yeah. care in this country is still, and I, I do think in the world, but also very much in this country is viewed as extremely taboo, as you must be crazy. You know, you've got to, you've got to be crazy. There's something wrong with you. You know, there's something not right with this person and we've got to just hide them away. We've got to, you know, completely ignore them and um, you just get over it. Family secrets and then it becomes community shame. And Mm. that is a huge problem that is very hard to tackle. I think, you know, that brings me to my question in in a really lovely way is that, you know, I know that obviously you interact with all different sorts of people. And of course, the the South African landscape, you know, sort of demographically is very rich and very varied. So it's not, you know, one type of person, but it is several types of people all kind of trying to, you know, live together in in harmony somehow it's not really going too well but you know well we're trying guys anyway um my 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 question is you know do you find that the the stigma kind of shifts from community to community do you know what I mean like people who I think Linky and I in, in past episodes have talked about how you know when you're a black woman and you're like oh I'm really struggling with this mentally and I've actually gone to a professional and they say you know when, when you sort of like are vulnerable to the people around you and you're like this is what I'm struggling with and it's not that I need to be put away somewhere for ages it's just that I need to kind of learn the skills to cope and be put on the right kind of in, in some instances the right kinds of medication to balance out that chemical imbalance so d- d- does it in in your experience and you know in your expertise does that sort of like vary from community to community most definitely but I think you know this is where and I think this is where the field is starting to shift and there still needs to be a lot of reform and a lot of transformation with, within the field of psychology here in South Africa is we're needing more people who are qualified in this field that are more diverse, that are able to mm. do the work. Because who am I as this kind of white woman to go into, say, a black community far away from where, where I live, where I've grown up and kind of preach mental health care? You know, mm. like, who am I? Like, how am I going to be identified with, you know? And I think this is where, you know, training psychologists or registered counselors or all the different kinds of psychologists that, that, that speak are very many beautiful languages that, that look different, that come from different cultures, different ethnicities that are able to kind of, the trust is a big thing that I've found mm-hmm. in community, especially kind of going as, in, as this like youngish white woman, you know, people are like, who are you? And validly so, you know, my, my thing with therapy is, you know, 
so many clients or patients present for their first session and they're like, I don't know how to trust you. And I was like, oh, but would you walk up to a stranger on the street and start divulging your secrets? Like, you don't need to trust me. I am a stranger. I know that it's weird because you're paying me, but like, I'm a literal stranger. Like trust is earned and it's, and it's, it's built. You don't need mm-hmm. to trust me initially. Like I, let's just see where it goes. Like you don't need to start completely opening up like from the get-go or no one would expect that from you and now you're coming in as someone that essentially feels like a foreigner or looks like a foreigner into communities and you're going this is what I think is important based on my education and that initial trust is is ruptured in a way and I think this is why having the field of psychology being so diverse or diversifying and and opening it up where I mean it's it is typically you know a field that was so closed and and still remains to a degree quite closed although there is a lot of reform and transformation happening at a university level which is fantastic so the field is kind of opening up more broadly and I speak about the African perspective on psychology this is becoming like these are our textbooks you know we are changing but I think that communities need people to identify with. And this is also where mental health care workers building community relationships become so integral because of gatekeepers. So like, who are the trusted people in the communities? You know, who do people turn to? Is it, is it the, the kind of local pastor? You know, is it the local traditional healer? Can we build relationships there? Can we kind of, and not like a relationship, like a one up and a one down, but like partnerships real partnerships with people that lead communities to kind of open up that gate for us to be like, let's just discuss a different way of thinking about struggling. And let's Mm. talk about the fact that when you talk about your struggles, this doesn't have to mean that there is something wrong with you, that that's not the way I see you. And that's not the way we should see each other. But sometimes we're not the people that that can say that. I don't think that I um, have ever really considered that because like obviously you have this very specific view of traditional healers within any kind of community that oh no I go to them because someone stole my husband under bizarre circumstances I never really thought about it as yeah I can just kind of talk to them because you know they are able to or they have a very unique perspective and access to, you know, a, a world that I might not ordinarily. So it would be okay to kind of open up and talk to them because in many ways they've been vulnerable to forces that, you know, they may not understand, but they trust eventually. And it, uh, it goes both ways. Yeah. No, it's, mm. it's, I think this is where kind of, you know, I, I feel often, you know, as a, as a psychologist, it's, it's not only kind of ethical, but it's essential wherever you're based, it's, you know, kind of standing barefoot, but like sink your feet into the ground, mm-hmm. really sink your feet in, like, where are you? And who are you with here? And what is the history? And what is, what is the threads of the culture? And I think something that I so value about my training, just, just talking about traditional healers or Sangomas or, um, for those kind of maybe listening that don't really know or understand what that is, it really is just a, a healer within a community that um, works within the natural world. Um, but there are a lot of connotations, and this is also another area of huge taboo. And one of the things I valued the most of my training was training with a traditional healer. 
um, at a master's level. And it was learning from him that what we can know better about treating what we would assume as mental illness when this is not mental illness. This is something that is embedded within culture. This is something that we cannot look at medically. This is something that isn't within our scope of practice. This mm -hmm. isn't within their scope of practice. And when we start hitting walls, this is what we're needing to start understanding. And it was mind blowing and it was lovely. And I wish that more people had access to that um because also from from his perspective which was amazing he was like i know when this becomes a mental health issue i know mm -hmm. when it becomes like it's time for the doctor to get involved it's time for let's let's get a psychologist involved this person needs a hospital you know mm -hmm. and I think, again it's that partnership and it's that ability to go i can't do everything you know, at the end of the day, and this is also one of my little mantras, I'm like, I'm just a psychologist. I can't be everything to everyone. I'm not a mm -hmm. social worker. I'm not an occupational therapist. I'm not a, a GP. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a traditional healer. I'm not a religious leader. Like, I'm not all of those things, but some people need all of those things. So mm -hmm. I can't do it. I, I can't just do it all. All mm -hmm. I can do is the therapy, and I can do the psychotherapy, and I can advocate the hell out of my client or my patients or the community I find myself in for their rights to adequate mental mm -hmm. health. I can't do everything. And I wish that people that represented communities also recognized that sometimes of being like, okay, well, you can't, you can't do everything. Um, even if it's your best intention, sometimes there does need to be intervention. And I think families need to know that. I know we're speaking a lot about communities, but I want to like scream at families to be like, family sometimes you can't do everything parents yeah. grandparents like you can't be more than than who you are you can't fix things you can't you can't be your child or your grandchild or your niece or your nephew you can't you can't be there everything sometimes there has to be external intervention Mm. And you you can't sort of like uh, what's what I'm looking for can't church what's wrong out of a person either that's always something that does my head in when it's like no this is the obvious solution and it's going to work and it's like no but I also you know can recognize that to a degree that does come from fear you know with with my own experience with my parents where it's like oh like in hindsight because that's the lovely thing about hindsight it's 360 and you can kind of see things for what they are. Um, mm. It, a lot of it was fear. A lot of it was, I don't know if I can do this. So yeah, I, I find that really interesting, especially because, you know, a lot of how we cope and present ourselves in the world and, you know, as a budding linguist myself, I often find it really interesting how, um, like you say, that it, sometimes it isn't mental health, sometimes it is something on, you know, and a spiritual level that needs assistance from someone who's an expert in that. Um, it's very interesting how even in language you can see that, you know, different cultures experience reality in different ways and some things might be similar and others are very different. And I quite like the idea that, you know, maybe in the future, once we've kind of got all the, the, the bigger issues sorted in a certain context, you could have like uh, a Sangoma on site who'll be like, wait, no, I don't, I can't connect to these people, but I know who can connect you to these people. You know, I, I really like that, that outlook. Yeah. I, I have to agree. I think that integrated view is one that we do not hold right now. And mm. I think you spoke about just not being able to be 
all things to all people. And I think when I think of that, I really do think about families, like you said, and how do you think we can kind of advocate for people struggling with mental illness within the family setting, just so that families can better support their loved ones, friends and family, really? How do we do that in in a way that's more effective than what we've been doing already? So what's really important is um, oftentimes, you know, families, every family is so complicated and, and every family is quite unique, but there are trends with people that experience mental illness that in a lot of ways, families, despite best efforts, sometimes make things worse. You know, they perpetuate problems and in various ways. Um, and I think should someone find themselves or be fortunate enough to find themselves in the hands of a, a competent mental health care worker, it's for mental health care workers not to be scared to get family involved. If mm -hmm. their client or their patient or their accessor of mental health care services um, consents to that, is to also try and advocate for um, their, their client to feel empowered to be like, you know what, mom, dad, sister, brother, stepmom, so whoever it is, like we're needing to have a conversation, but I'm needing you to have it with this other person that will be here with me, you know? Mm. And we often find if we look at prognosis, so prognosis being, you know, the likelihood of whether a certain illness or a mental illness will remit within um, a certain period of time is that, you know, the better that the person's like immediate support system is, um, the more that they understand what the person is going through. This is one of the biggest protective factors when we look at prognosis, like the person's going to have a good shot at getting better system around them and comprehend what's going on and supports them, not enables them, not perpetuates the problem. And mm. I think, and this is something, and it's such a hard lesson is sometimes family cannot get on board. Yes. Sometimes family cannot. So how do we build or assist someone in building their own family? Like, how can you start choosing your family? Because we've got blood family, but who who is in your family otherwise? Do you have mm -hmm. friends family, essentially? Like, how do we define the term family? And those mm -hmm. are really the nitty gritty things that we can start to get into psychologically or within a therapeutic setting is how do you define what you're needing from your family right now and where else can you meet those needs yes. because that's where we're needing to be going if your family is that impenetrable and we've tried to bring them into the therapeutic space and do like gentle you know psychoeducational this is just a bit more of an explanation sometimes families do not want to get involved and sometimes people do not want their families involved and that is 100% within their rights you know mm. it's it is the person who's sitting across from me it is their journey it has nothing to do with me yes. you know and that's mm. something I always say out loud I'm like I might have an idea about what I think is best you know like <laughs> but it, this is not my life, mm -hmm. this is your life that I am like, I have the privilege of being a part of. So let us work within your sphere of what do you feel is manageable. If calling mom and dad in and having this conversation is going to make things worse, mm -hmm. no, then we're not going to do that. I will completely respect that. But then who can we call in mm -hmm. and who can support you and who can be 
your your rock at this point, your solid base? And can we start relying more there in a healthy way, not in kind of mm-hmm. a dependent way? Mm-hmm. Um, rely less over here to take some of the pressure off. It was, you know, I have a few questions. I don't know how much time we have, but we're just going to go with it. Um, I was thinking about just diagnoses and how those, because as you say, you know, sometimes family want to be a part, sometimes they don't. And, and I mean, this is obviously when the person has said, please, can the family just be a part of this conversation or, or rather that they are a part of the problem. Um, And so it's really key for me, just in, in my experience, how do we then again, explain to family, friends, people in the world, that mental illness specifically is not always circumstantial. Mm-hmm. I think part of why we started the podcast was because a lot of the posts we were seeing, a lot of the podcasts we were listening to, although very meaningful and very rich, were talking about, I had depression in the past. Like it's over, it's done. It was a, you know, once off. And we're like, where are the people like us who are struggling every day? This is not going away. And it's not that we're not doing the right things. We're exercising, we're eating the vegetables and we are, you know, doing the therapy and taking the meds and doing the yoga and, and it's not going away. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that felt like an attack. It felt like you're just not doing enough. More green tea. That's, that's the solution. Drink more of the green tea, (laughs) throw in an extra stretch. You'll be cool. And I mean, that, that was always like something that I would almost want to scream at some of the world people who are no longer in my life, but you know, at some of the the sort of authority figures in my life to say that, no, it's not that I'm trying to be difficult. I don't know what I'm contending with. This is a conversation that we've often had that the dominant um, narrative is from people. It's always past tense. It's never within the present. I don't have a great time knowing that I have to take a certain number of pills within a day to function. It's not fun for me. It's not a bragging right. It's not, you know, a way to seem more interesting. It is a part of my life, a significant chunk of my life. You know, it is possible, or you may have seen someone who, you know, started out a certain way with, you know, with their sort of like mental health journey and kind of got to a good space and what it was that may have assisted them to get to a, a more you know functional meaningful space so i think so much of what you're saying and has have said is so powerful and it it completely aligns with a lot of my frustrations in this field as well i i loathe the word cure i mm-hmm. loathe the word heal Mm-hmm. Um, I think when people use it with, in terms of themselves, that's absolutely fine. But I don't like when practitioners are like, let me heal you. I'm like, heal, as in like, bippity boppity boo, it's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, my impression and not my impression, my, my genuine sense is dealing with a mental health struggle, dealing with mental illness leaves an imprint within you. Mm -hmm. Mm. And sometimes that groove is deep. Sometimes that is a deep groove. And sometimes it's just a shadow, but it will leave an imprint. And Mm. 
sure, we've got some cases that are, I mean, we talk about kind of complexities. We look at how long someone has suffered for. We look at what was the age that they began to suffer with what they're experiencing. What are the factors around them that are making it worse? You know, what are the biological factors? I'm so glad that you spoke about, like, when is it not circumstantial? I'm like, um, genuinely, almost always. You know, when we look at mental, when we look at mental illness and mental health challenges, we always look at a biological component. There's always a biological, psychological, emotional, familial, you know, there, it goes on and on and on, but there is a strong biological component to it. And I think this is what people don't understand. I'm like, it's not your fault. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, oh my God, but why are they getting better? And I think this is where it's funny how when I've come to realize that I'm not enjoying working with children so much is because I'm not enjoying working so much with children's parents recently. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. come to therapy, so why aren't they better yet? And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> oh, you know, and yeah. I think people are really hard on themselves that come for therapy when they're like, why am I not better yet? And I'm like, this is neurochemical. Yeah. We mm. have to give it time and it might take a long time. How long were you suffering for in total? Mm. And I'm not going to say that that is how long it's going to take for you to like not feel like shit, but mm -hmm. What I'm saying is let's have the patience because you had that strength to get through this, get to this point. So let's just have patience whilst we sit in the mess of it and learn how to navigate life just a little bit better. And I think sometimes people don't understand is learning how to navigate life a little bit better is sometimes a massive win. We look at like, that is a huge flipping achievement. Like I was functional for these three hours of the day, like bravo and I do not mean that sarcastically and I think people mm -hmm. that don't understand what it is like mm -hmm. in the depths of dysfunction where your life yeah. is sick, they will never maybe understand what three hours of functioning feels like or yes. looks like if checking off every single box of things that you had to do that day to remain mm -hmm. okay just okay and look That's I do okay. believe people deserve a mental state and a a sense of well-being that goes beyond just okay or fine and I think it is sad when you know and we do find this within the medical model even if we look at acute cases and if we look at something like a schizophrenia well in the acute phase of psychosis well okay well you know the hallucinations and the the kind of auditory you know the auditory the visual hallucinations the delusions have gone away cool we're done here the person is okay and it's like I don't know if just removing the voices has now allowed the person to be okay. Mm -hmm. You know, they might seem okay, but I don't know if we've really addressed what's been happening in its, in its fullest capacity. Like, how did this person get to this point? You know, we can't just, mm -hmm. we can medicate symptoms and that's fine, but how do we navigate the rest of our world? But what people then don't understand is sometimes symptoms need to be medicated this is neurochemical and if we don't medicate the symptom how are we going to address the rest of it yeah. you know and I think it, this is so hard for people to grasp and it is still so hard for people to grasp and I think people see the external see okay well you're going to therapy so you should be fine right you're doing you're you're, you're doing it you should be fine so you're, you're in therapy, your therapist is dealing with you. So why are you still not okay? Why are you still struggling to get out of bed? Why are you still canceling plans? 
Mm -hmm. You know, why are you still having anxiety to the point where it's crippling you? Why are you still not sleeping? Aren't you seeing a therapist? How do you think therapy is going to cure this magically? It is a work in progress. People are a work in progress. Therapy is just having a companion (laughs) that knows stuff. The companion that just like knows a bunch of stuff that is like really good at like helping you navigate. It's like literally the person with the compass. But we are on a ship. And this ship might be sinking, but I'm like, I've got a compass, some duct tape. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, exactly. You've got the skills to build, like you can build, but I can mm-hmm. only understand you're going, I think we're needing to like build a boat, a lifeboat, like mm-hmm. grab some rubber from somewhere, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's what the therapy is. It's, it's not, it's not a cure. It's healing is something that you you do you do you do on your own time and some people do experience psychotherapy or seeing a therapist or psychologist as a healing thing and that is beautiful and that is individual but I, it irks me when people are like I'm healed mm-hmm. I'm healed now like it it that's if that is the way that you are perceiving and that's what you're feeling that is wonderful but let's also not perpetuate the conversation that mental health and mental illness is something that like has a healing point yes because mm-hmm. for the majority of people there is no healing point there is no adjustment point and that is bloody hard and that needs mm-hmm. ongoing support and ongoing discussion let's just like normalize not coping so well i hear you and i think this is this is sad like people don't have access to kind of ongoing support or can mm-hmm. be on within an acute phase but can't take chronic medication and this is this is really hard but I think people need to just understand the matter a little bit better that it is just not so simple as you see a therapist three times and all of a sudden Mm -hmm. you're cured Mm. like it's a bit more complex than that exactly Wow, this, you know what, like I said, I have lots more questions. We could go on for the rest of the hour, but um, I know that we have to wrap it up. Before we do, I would ask, and I guess I know this is not, um, this is not an easy question, but we often talk about our toolbox and having things within our toolbox to help us. If you were to choose three, I won't say one, three things that you think would help somebody who is in crisis what are those three things call a friend mm-hmm. call a friend call a friend i don't know what was that show <laughs> yes. um who, who wants, wants to, to be, be a millionaire? millionaire call a safe person is mm-hmm. huge i think people in crisis think that it is now their crisis that they need to deal with absolutely alone and like while that might be actually factually correct they can also just talk through through it mm-hmm. whilst they're dealing with it alone like mm-hmm. don't underestimate sharing what's currently going on with you with another human being and like talking out loud mm-hmm. talking yes. situation out loud so literally just pick up the phone mm-hmm drop someone a voice note message them but calling someone hearing someone's voice on the other side of the phone a safe person is is huge Mm. um other tools other tools for the toolbox um I think you know what's funny is sometimes we've got tools in the toolbox but it's like picking up a screwdriver but the handle is like full of like spikes and it's mm-hmm. like, this tool really works, but it hurts me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like mm-hmm. the 
mechanisms where it's like, well, I've learned how to cope and it works really well, but like, ouch, when I use it. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that when you're like developing your toolbox, it is important to look at what is actually in the toolbox to begin with. Like people think that they're coming with empty toolboxes, like you are not, there's just like faulty tools, you know, mm -hmm. or tools that work pretty good, but like they're messed up. Yes. Like mm -hmm. you've got a pair of scissors in there, but there's no handle. So you're like trying mm -hmm. to cut with it, but it's not working. And it's like, well, let's mm -hmm. build on what's there. Can we repair some of these tools? Like avoidance. So mm -hmm. great, great for the short term, you know, like, oh, I'm really, really stressed. I'm going to literally avoid it. I'm going to like go and watch series. I'm going to scroll through Instagram until I bleed from my eyeballs. And it's like, okay, well, long term, this isn't going to work. But in the short term, if you're in a crisis, is there a way in which you can distract yourself? Mm. Can we, for five minutes, distract yourself to bring down your emotional kind of tone at the moment? Because we're at like mm. a boil, let's bring it to a simmer. Literally, can you sit and do something to distract yourself? Can you mm -hmm. remove yourself from the situation? Can you go get into a shower? Can you put on the TV? Can you scroll through Instagram? And it's like, well, yeah, in the long term, this isn't the best. But in the short term, in a crisis, 100%, if you're feeling emotionally overwhelmed to the point where you are crippled and cannot deal with the crisis, avoid it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ther therapist approved. Therapist approved. <laughs> it's this thing of like, but if you don't have any other tools in your toolbox to meet it head on, then what are you meant to do? Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm like, work with what you have. Mm. scrounge around in your toolbox and see what's already there and sometimes more sophisticated tools like confrontation like wow like that's like an advanced tool you know that's going to take mm. a little bit of practicing a little bit of welding and maybe we don't have that in our arsenal so I can say yeah let's let's do um let's do things like meditation calling a friend and what what some other like wonderful wonderful tool like self-care like 100% let's do all three but I'm like we have to work with what you have mm -hmm. some of it might not be the best tools but it is what you have and let's work on them and let's use them whilst we start we can't start removing tools in order to put tools back we have to mm -hmm. you know like it's we can't leave you with no tools yeah mm -hmm. and that's a whole other topic for yeah for definitely so I didn't yeah. answer your question but in an ideal world I did answer it it would be like something like self-care mindfulness and and calling out for support but that is in an ideal world otherwise use what you have no matter how broken it is if you're in a crisis you need to save yourself first return mm. to the situation when you are adequately able to handle it don't try and handle mm. it when you are in crisis yourself and if you find yeah. that you're able to move and you're literally paralyzed from what's happening, call the friend and thaw out a little bit. There's plenty of different kinds of crises as well. So I'm speaking in an incredibly, incredibly generalized way. That's exactly what I meant. So I think that that really does cover it. And I, I, I hadn't actually thought about my broken tools being used as um, kind of temporal tools. And mm -hmm. so now I have that to kind of lean on um so that's a that's a good one that I hadn't thought about I found it quite interesting when you know you said that you can sort of avoid it for the time being but you you have to get back to it um that's always something that I never really considered especially even in like you know interpersonal relationships where it's like I don't want to deal with this right now like just walking away from a fight for example and being like when I no longer want to hurt your feelings we can talk about this or also, you know, when you get over, I think, 
the bigness of a certain experience or memory or whatever it is. It's nice to know that it is okay to take a break from it, but you can't really completely walk away from it. So I'm just thanking Romy for like putting that into, like putting the word, yeah, putting the words to something that I knew internally, but could never really articulate it. Yeah, for sure. You've got to kind of be attuned to your needs. And sometimes mm-hmm. your needs are to get the distance that you need in order to have the perspective, in order to go back and deal with something. And that can be, that is completely individualized, however long mm-hmm. it can take you. And sometimes we need more support through the, through that time. And we need space to be able to unpack it and look at options. Dealing mm-hmm. in a crisis is survival mode. And sometimes that is not the best way to be dealing with anything. Yeah. Yeah. So in a situation where you can walk away from the crisis i recommend walking far away for now find a mountain to sit on and look at it from above you know um if it's something that is immediate that you have to deal with that's 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 another story but walking away excellent romy thank you so much for your time today there's just been so much that you have shared with us. And I think that we definitely need you back to unpack some of those aspects and to kind of touch on some other questions and topics that we had in mind. You can follow Romy on Instagram at psychotherapy.with.romy. And she's got some really lovely content. It is just a beautiful looking page and lots of interesting things to glean and you know meditate on in your personal time. Thank you so much. And thank you both for having me. This has been really fun and I've loved having a good chat. To our listeners, thank you again for joining us. Leave us a review, find us on Facebook or Instagram and let us know what topics or questions would you have for us and for some of our guests. We appreciate you and we will see you next time. And a note, we are not mental health professionals. All opinions expressed on this podcast are our own. Our views and the views of any guests on our show cannot be construed as advice or should be used as medical recommendation. If you need help, please consult a licensed medical professional.